Good morning, Journey. Good to see you all. My name's Chris. Glad to be with you this holiday season. I realized uh, once I came up here now following Ben in his uh, cream blazer that I'm incredibly underdressed and, and a bit gloomy in my all black outfit. So I apologize for that. I do, I have festive shoes though. So I'm trying to balance it out there. Um, thanks for making us all look bad, Ben. Today you find us in the, the third week of the season of Advent. And, and Advent is a season that the, the historical church has, has followed for, for hundreds of years. And the word Advent itself means coming. And so what happens during the season of Advent, the, the four weeks leading to Christmas and the birth of Jesus is, is we pay attention to the coming of baby Jesus, right? God in the flesh. But we also pay attention to the coming of Jesus daily in our lives, by the way, of his spirit. And then we also hold out hope for this coming of Jesus when he'll come again. He'll make all things new and restore all things. And so we live in this tension during Advent of waiting for Jesus to act, to move, to show up on the scene. And so each week of Advent has a specific theme that we're paying attention to. We started out by paying attention to the theme of hope. Then last week, Bob took us through the theme of joy. We find ourselves today focusing on the theme of peace. And all of that will culminate in the theme of love on Christmas, which is why the series is called Radical Love. We're moving towards that celebration. And so as I've been thinking about Advent, uh, I want to convince myself that I love Advent. Or like I'm passionate about Advent, that we pay attention to the rhythms of the ancient church calendar and we, we join in with people for centuries and centuries anticipating the coming of Jesus and intentionally waiting. But then I find myself, as I try to live in to that week in and week out, uh, just not super excited about the uncomfortable act of waiting. Like forcing myself to wait and sit in that waiting is not all that fun. We are, we are like a, a type of people who want things now. Like we know what we want and we want it now. We want it fast. We, we wanna get there in a hurry. And, and yet this season of Advent in the, in the midst of all of the chaos that it brings calls us into a posture of the uncomfortable act of waiting. And so while I've wanted to love Advent, I can't quite get there. I do know that I need Advent and I need it to force me to slow down and pay attention to what Jesus is up to in the here and now and what he's going to do as well. And so kind of to set the stage for where we'll be going this morning, we come to these words from the apostle Paul and Paul is writing these words from a jail of all places. And so it's gonna be crazy when he also plays on some Advent themes. He says this as he's nearing the end of his letter to the Philippians. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. He says, remember, the Lord is coming soon. Even Paul, as he sits in that jail, writing to the church in Philippi, knows the tension of waiting and he's hopeful that the Lord is coming soon. And so he goes on 
to speak of peace. He'll pay, he'll pay special attention to peace, which will bring out that theme for us. And so I wanna just read those words first, the, the rest of the words that he says to close out his letter to the church in Philippi. And as I read them, what I want you to do is just, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine yourself sitting with Paul in this jail cell, nearing the end of his life and what it might've been like to live in this tension of Jesus who's already come and Jesus who will come again. Here's what he writes. I'll read these to us and then I'll pray. So, so close your eyes and go to that jail cell with me. After Paul says, remember, the Lord is coming soon, he says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing then the God of peace will be with you. God, we thank you that you are the God of peace and that you are with us. We know that you are with us now in this very moment, already at work in our lives and in the life of our church. And so we welcome you and we invite you by way of your spirit to teach us this morning. Show us the ways of the God of peace as you meet us where we are often in places that feel like anything but peaceful. I pray that we would set before you, God, this morning anything that might keep us from hearing what it is you have to say to us. Give us hearts to receive what you want to do in our lives as individuals and as a family of God. Pray for myself this morning too, God, that you would give me your words to speak I pray that I would not say anything that's not for you or from you so that everything that we do here together on this day as we sing and pray and preach and hug and receive communion, that all of that would bring glory to you. That we would do all of this because we know we are loved by you. We know we need you. So we come humbly before you this morning. It's in your name we pray, amen. I've heard it said that the shadow of the cross falls across the manger. The shadow of the cross falls across the manger. And so as that image forms in your mind, I think it's an apt image as we try to hold in tension the celebratory birth of Jesus and the violent end that will mark his life 30 some years later. The shadow of the cross falls across the manger. I think we're struck by the peaceful image of baby Jesus asleep in a manger of hay. We can all immediately go there and hold that image before us. It is, in fact, calm and peaceful. But then at the same time, I think we ignore the fact that we can be arrested by the violence that soon follows the birth of Jesus. So let me tell you the story of King Herod and the shadow side of the Christmas story. 
Perhaps this is why I wore all black. (laughs) Jesus is born in Bethlehem. He's born in Bethlehem during the reign of a man named King Herod. And King Herod is, in fact, that guy. He's the kind of king you think he is. He's got big ego. He's violent. He lords it over his people. He's there to be in charge and maintain his authority. And so King Herod gets wind of this baby that's born in Bethlehem that many are saying is the coming king. Whoa, 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 there's one king, says Herod. It's him. He knows the prophecies of the Jewish people that point to this king. And so he wants to figure out what's really going on with the birth of this baby boy. And so after he gets wind of that, there's some men coming from the east to meet this baby Jesus. These men, they are very wise. They are the wise men coming from the east to meet Jesus. Herod intercepts them on their way to come and find Jesus as they're following the signs they need to follow to get there. And he says, hey, how about a private meeting? They're like, "Ah, okay, you're the king. I feel like we're probably not gonna get anywhere if we don't have a private meeting. And so they gather together, I don't know, like behind closed doors in the king's quarters. And King Herod says to these men, who mind you are wise, he says to them, hey, when you go and find this baby, this king that you have gifts for, would you then come back and tell me where he is so that I can do the same, so that I can also bring him gifts and pay him his respects? And these wise men are like, "Mm mm-hmm, okay. And off they go. And these wise men, they find Jesus as it says they do in Matthew 2, right? They follow the star and there they find Jesus baby Jesus laying in the manger and they shower him with gifts and praise and worship for this is the one they've been waiting for. Their king has arrived. Tiny, yes, but their king nonetheless. And then they go to sleep. And while they're sleeping, they dream. And they have a dream that says to them, do not go back to King Herod because he is who you thought he was. So they wake up and they heed the advice of that dream and they go back from where they came from another route. They avoid King Herod. So after they've left, Jesus and Mary and Joseph, right? Like the ultimate nativity scene is before us and then an angel of the Lord shows up and an angel says to Joseph, Mary and baby Jesus, you gotta get out of Bethlehem. It's not gonna be good if you stay here. And so now, Our king, baby Jesus and his family are on the run and they flee to Egypt. Imagine that, a child fleeing their native country on the run because someone wants to kill him. So Jesus and his family, they leave and they're in Egypt. And it doesn't take long before King Herod realizes he's been duped. Those wise men were too wise. They're not coming back to tell him where Jesus is. And if you know anything about people like King Herod, you know now the rage is building. We have on our hands a furious king. And he responds like furious kings tend to respond. And so he issues this decree 
He says every single baby boy in Bethlehem under two years old is to be killed. And it's done. Can you imagine the trauma in Bethlehem? The shadow side of the Christmas story. And we're left in this place going, where is the peace? Where is the peace? And it's the same cry that we have today as we look around and we go, where is the peace? Where is the peace in our own lives? Where is the peace in our relationships? Where is the peace in our nation? Where is the peace in our world? We want to know where is the peace? Because it's still happening. The atrocities of King Herod carry on. So I've chosen Paul to answer this tension for us. Remember now with this in mind, we go back to sit in the cell with the apostle Paul, a man who knew the violence of someone like King Herod, who inflicted it himself on others. But what happened to Paul? He had a radical encounter with the Prince of Peace, Jesus himself, and he never went back to who he was. And so he walked around the rest of his life being beaten within inches of his life, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, homeless, hungry, destitute, but all the while proclaiming the message of Jesus everywhere he went, forming communities of people committed to the way, committed to the way of the Prince of Peace. And now here he is at the end of his life sitting in a cell a man who's been through it all, wrestling with, is this where his life's going to end? And he's not only there himself in this cell, he's writing a letter to a church that's enduring their own suffering and their own oppression in Philippi. They also feel the weight of all of this, going, where is the peace? Of all the people equipped to speak into this tension we have before us. I think Paul might be the perfect one. And here's what he says. Philippians four, verses four and five. This is the beginning of the end of his letter. This is how he's closing out this letter. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Can you just feel where those words come from now? Rejoice in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice like he's not even like one time. And then he plays into this theme that we're wrestling with in this Advent season as well. He says, remember this though. The Lord is coming soon. He's on his way. Paul is holding the Advent tension right here for us. He says, for the Lord has already come. He knows that. He's encountered him himself. The Lord has already come, so we rejoice. And he says, and the Lord is coming again because I know this isn't as it should be. Look, I'm writing you a letter from prison. He says, but I say it again, rejoice. 
He holds this incredible tension for us and it's why he believes the next charge that he has for the church is possible. Verses six and seven, he says this, don't worry about anything, which just by itself seems ridiculous, doesn't it? As we all sit here as real life humans being like, don't worry about anything, anything like, do you know my life, Paul? And Paul's like, oh, I do which is why I don't think he means it as tried as it sounds. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Go back to the source of the relationship, he says. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. But what kind of peace? The kind of peace that exceeds anything we can understand. We're like, oh, great. How are we gonna do that? He says, here's what will happen. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. But Gordon Fee, I think, summarizes this best. Here's what he says. He says, such peace transcends all understanding. Okay. He says, this could mean beyond all human comprehension, which in one sense is certainly true. We cannot grasp what that really means, so to speak. But he says this, he says, more likely Paul intends that God's peace totally transcends the merely human, unbelieving mind, which is full of anxiety because it cannot think higher than itself. And we're all like, yeah. So he says, our prayer is this. Our prayer to the God who is totally trustworthy is accompanied by his peace. Not because he answers according to our wishes, but because his peace totally transcends our merely human way of perceiving the world. Fortunately, God's people do not need to have it all figured out in order to trust him. We're all like, oh, okay. Like it's not the greatest answer to the tension about where is this peace and what's going on, but it's so true at the same time, right? Like fortunately, God's people don't have to have it all figured out in order to trust him. Paul of all people would know that. So here's how he finishes out. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. There's the answer to the tension then the God of peace will be with you. May we let the peace of God guard us and the God of peace be with us. And this waiting tension of Advent, it mirrors our own lives, doesn't it? It highlights our own longings. Like we're like, okay, I know Jesus has come. And he is in fact the one who saves us and makes us whole and new. And so we, we praise him and we recognize that. And yet at the same time we go, but this is not as it should be. We too know the experience of writing from our own jail cells, so to speak. And so we say, Jesus will come again. 
And we hope in that and we recognize that that too is true. But something else is happening and I think it's the thing we miss. We cannot miss that Jesus is also here in the present in what I'm calling the invisible in between. Jesus has come and Jesus will come again, but he longs to show up every single day and every single moment of our lives. But we're prone to miss it because it's the invisible in between. He is with us now. The Prince of Peace is with us now. And he holds with us the very same tension that we hold when we go, how long, O oh Lord? Where is the peace? Where are you when I need you? He says, I'm right there with you, holding that up too. Longing for the day to return and to make all things as they should be. So I wanna just give us the opportunity to sit with this Prince of Peace and receive the truth that he's with us and that he waits with us. It's not the greatest ending to a sermon anyone's ever known because I'm not sure what to do next either. But we sit and we wait together. And we look forward to a week from today when we're reminded that Jesus does come and he'll continue to come and he'll come again. So I wanna give you a moment to just sit with this king, our prince of peace. Reflect, be still, invite, whatever it is you need to do, and then I'll lead us into communion in a moment. Jesus, Son of God, we welcome you as you meet us here in the invisible in between. Thank you for your presence in our lives that you show up. Would you give us eyes to see that you, the God of peace, is with us? And God, would you then do the work in our lives so that we might be conduits of that peace. So that we might join your son, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. As we go into this world, we leave this building, we walk out these doors and we engage in relationships with those we love, those we live with, with those who are strangers, with those we work with. Would we bring peace Peace that we cannot even comprehend, but that we know is born in you. And God, as we hold this world in tension and we find ourselves crying out, where is the peace? I pray that we would make space to grieve and mourn that it is not as it should be. So many things are not as they should be, God. And we need to join you in the work of bringing your kingdom from heaven to earth as we hope in you who has already come and as we hope in you who will come again. 
May we be people of peace. May we be a church of peace. For your glory, God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.